The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed, for though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods, and I shall say to myself, Now, as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus it will be for all who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, the liturgy gives us a beautiful image of God. In the opening prayers, we ask God to restore all things and to protect these things, to restore all that He has created and to protect them. It's a beautiful image I, for me because it gives me the image of God as a restorer. And restoration is a very difficult art. Uh, you know, I come from Italy, and uh, there is a lot of art in Italy. And uh, whether you like it or not, it's there. So, but it's, being very old, uh, it also requires an incredible amount of restoration. Uh, and to do that, it requires a very specific skill. Imagine. An artist has to use his or her own artistic skills to make sure that someone else's work remains beautiful. Not one's own, but someone else's. So it's very difficult and incredibly humbling, I think, right? Because you cannot put yourself in that work of art. It's not yours. But yet your artistic skills must be used so that someone else's work shines forth. Now, sometimes they're quite successful. Other times, they're not successful at all. You remember uh, a couple of years ago, somebody from Spain volunteered to restore a particular set of statues. They were very important artistically, and they came out like cartoons from the Looney Tunes. Okay, you remember, the, she used very bright colors, 
all of a sudden the eyes became big like Disney cartoons. It was incredible, but that was her way of painting. She missed the lesson probably and said, you know, whenever you restore someone else's work, it's not about you anymore, you're not about that one. So the work of the artist, of the restorer, has to be hidden. You have to remain focused on the masterpiece, not on the restorer. And as I was meditating on this, the word that I heard uh, from in the second reading really came to life in a way. And I felt immediately immersed into this mystery of what God wants to do. He wants to restore the original image that he gave us when he created us. You remember, we were created in his image. But then something happened that corrupted that image. We call that sin, original sin. So now God is trying to restore it so that we can be truly ourselves and reflect what God has done. And we heard this last Sunday. I'm sure you remember. Paul told us that God has taken our sin and has obliterated it. Another image from the cartoons. I guess I spent too much time watching. Uh, you remember Wiley e. Coyote with the, AT with the TNT and the broad bike at Acme? When I came to the United States, I was quite surprised that actually there are stores called Acme, and I was looking for dynamites and things. I was really disappointed. Anyway, but imagine God has taken our sinfulness, whatever separates us from Him, and has obliterated and has taken every single sin and nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. Now, even though this has been accomplished by God and we have received this gift when we were baptized, okay, that, that, that major explosion happened on the moment of baptism, and then Paul also uses another image, says that sin, that it's been wiped away and it has been all the evidence of that has been taken out a little bit like when we watch on csi have you watched csi you know they're trying the, the the bad guy always trying to eliminate the the uh, evidence but they always show it with the special light the purple light I, I think it's awesome to have that thing but anyway so this is what god has done but the effects are still felt even though god has taken that sin away from us and we i hope that this goes in to you today because we have to reclaim this so what does this all mean it means that we who have died with christ and rose with them in baptism that's the image that paul uses to die to go down into the water means to die and to come up means to rise up with them we have experienced that it means now that it doesn't mean that we no longer sin but it means that sin no longer gives us our identity. We cannot and we should not identify ourselves with what we have done in the past. Our identity as Christian comes from what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do for us. Good news? Yes? Okay. Enthusiasm? No? Not yet? Okay. <laughs> You understand? This is good news. This is what God has accomplished. But now we still feel the effects of this work. 
But we hear today in the second reading again that Paul tells us that we who have died with him and rise up with him, we who have been baptized, and now we live hidden with Christ in God. Just as the work of the restorer is hidden in the masterpiece, so is what God is trying to do. He's trying to do something very delicate so that when people and when he looks at us, he can see Jesus. So that when we see each other, we can see Jesus as well. And the image of being hidden with Christ in God means simply this. That the Greek word means that you have been hidden behind someone's shield. Okay? So imagine I'm here and God puts his shield in front of me so that I'm hidden behind it. In my case, it's very easy because I'm short, so I don't have to die. But so that now the enemy does not see me. What does he see? What does the enemy see? He sees the shield. And he says, oh, Stanislaus is not here. Where, where, where did he go? All right? Why? Because I'm hidden behind that. And that's our image. That's how we live with God. We are so intimately connected that when people see us, they should see God. And when we see people, therefore, we should see Jesus. All this because, if you remember, we have been talking about, we have been exploring the concept, who is my neighbor? And what God has done in Christ is to make himself our neighbor, and he made us his neighbor as well. So now we have to figure out, how can we live in these relationships that God wants us to have with each other as members of the body of Christ, as people who seem to have been obliterated, and he's telling us, you got to start thinking in a different way, thinking differently about who you are, thinking differently about who God is, think differently about who your neighbor is. That's why Paul says, if you die with him, think of what is of above not as a way to escape reality, but finding source of inspiration from above and start looking at each other from the point of view of God because he now sees us from that point of view, from the point of view of the cross. He sees us as his beloved children and God loves us to death, to the end. Amen? And he's committed. He's not, never going to say, I, I have enough of you. He's always there to lead us. So how can we lead each other? How can we live with each other? How can we make sure that we remain in this beautiful thing? And it is, it's required from all of us to think in a different way. And one thing that we need to obliterate is the effect that original sin has on us. First of all, original sin makes us think that all the things that are ephemeral, all the things that are transitory, all the things that are non-important are important. And these things is what the first reading calls vanity. Vanity is not being vain or that piece of furniture that we call the vanity. I don't know if you still have it, you know. But vanity is that which is transitory, that which is the, the it's something that I can use and then I can let go. 
But when I think that of these things that are usable, but then we can let go as important, and I want to keep them, that's when we get into trouble. Okay? So the idea of riches, as Jesus speaks in the gospel, is not that there is something wrong in being wealthy. What Jesus seems to have a problem with is people who, even though they have been blessed, they do not share. They do not help people in need. Do you understand? So there are two categories when we hear the word rich. We have to understand one group are people who have been blessed, they have a lot, but they keep them, keep everything to themselves, and they continue to keep more and more. That's something that Jesus does not seem to like. To the point that in the parable, we even hear God saying, oh, you fool. I hope that I'll never, well, I don't have much. So God will never call me fool because I hold on to something. But remember that when we talk about possession, it's not just about money. It's about anything. So even sometimes we can be rich of our opinions and we don't let go of our judgments and we hold on to them and we don't let go and we become rich of all these possessions my opinion i pass an opinion a judgment on someone and there is nothing you can do to make me change my mind why because what i see is what i have my opinion are you with me so it's not about just being rich rich about things you know material things with money how to think there is another category in the gospel of rich people who are actually feel that they have been blessed with something and they say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. I'm here to help you out. Why? Because you remember how the story begins with us, right? The image of God was worked, was damaged by sin. And you remember how that sin is symbolized in the Bible. What did Eve do? She took the fruit. You remember? So this is where we get in trouble. We take and we say, it's mine. It's all about me. And what did Jesus say? How can we undo this? It's to change the mindset. We think that in order to have, we have to take from others. Jesus says, give and gift will be given to you. But we don't feel safe when we do that, right? We want to keep it. And that's the change. So how do we work with one another? The parable here, uh, it's interesting that Jesus is talking, is teaching, and somebody interrupts Jesus and says, that's all nice, but I'm not really interested. I want you to make everything about me. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance. You remember Martha and Mary? Martha got in trouble, why? Because Jesus was teaching, she comes to Jesus and says, what? Oh, that's all nice what you're saying, but really not helpful. I want you to tell my sister to help me. Why? It's all about me. How can anybody realize that? And we want God to make it all about me. So if the church teaches something I like, go church. If the church teaches something that I don't like, oh, it's, they're all wrong. The church should always do what I say, because I know way better than the Holy Spirit. Have you been in that situation? Have you heard people say, I don't like it, it's wrong. But who are you? It's someone who still thinks it's all about me. That's the challenge. 
So the parable, Jesus doesn't want to get involved in this. Why? Because behind that question, there is no request of justice, but there is greed. And greed is idolatry, as Paul says, because we pass on worth from God to a thing. Remember the word worship means to assign worth. So if I assign worth to God, I worship God. But if I assign worth to a thing, the inheritance, I consider that more important than my brother. You see how the gospel is inviting us to look at people and not at things. People are more important than things. Things are there to help us to sustain our relationships. We use them, but always making sure that people come first. And therefore, that which in the parable seems to be an issue of justice, Jesus flips it around and says, no, it's a matter of priorities. Why? Because justice is a choice we make. And whether people have wronged us or not, we now have the responsibility to respond to it. And justice is an issue that is very elastic. If something goes wrong, and it's a, you know, we are very highly intolerant if something unfair or unjust happens to us or people whom we know, right? If something is unjust, we are right there and we want to make it right and we want everybody, we write letters to uh, the manager, uh, you know, when we go to a restaurant, things are not done right. If the same thing is done by somebody in, in, in China, eh, what happened? Yeah, too bad for them. We don't react in the same way. But now we know that because every single person on earth is my neighbor, I have to react in the same way. We have to have a heart that is full, really Catholic, universal. And therefore, the challenge is, can we, make, we, can we take some time this week, every day, to right a wrong that we have received, a wrong we have made? Perhaps we need to send a card, a message, something, and say, hey, you know, last week I went to the store and I was supposed to be charged $10, but I only paid nine. Here's the $1. What happens if the other way is around. You know, whenever we are realize that we have been overcharged, don't we go immediately to the store and demand to talk to the manager? What happens when things happen on the other side? How can we make right the wrongs we have received? What can we do to extend God's love to other people? And as we continue to pray, we want to thank the Lord that He is revealing Himself to us as a Father who wants to restore our image and is trying to do whatever He can and is inviting us would you let me continue to work? Would you make choices that would allow me to restore you to that beautiful image that I had in mind when I created you? And we thank God that he has removed all sins from us, and then together we bring to the altar our willingness to start things, thinking from above, looking at him as the only source that will truly give us all that we need to be rich before him.